Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to this third season of On Brand With. The idea behind this podcast has always been to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences and stories of me and my guests. One of the things I've learned over the years is that we all have a story to tell. And over the coming episodes, I'll be chatting to some more people that I know and admire and some that I don't know. And I'll be asking them to share their stories and how they use their personal brands to really make an impact. We'll be exploring what best practice looks like in the real world. So let's begin. I've been planning to chat with today's guest for a while now and we've been scuppered by the weather, traffic, kitchen refurbishments and holidays. So when we did eventually sit down together, it was an absolute pleasure. For my Yorkshire listeners, this lady will need no introduction as she has graced our television screens for 20 years. She is Christine Talbot best known for her role since 2001 as co-anchor of Calendar News for ITV Yorkshire. Having won many awards during her career, including O2 Journalist of the Year in 2016, Christine shares her ambitions to be a journalist started at a young age. We cover many topics as always, her recovery from breast cancer in 2012, being a woman of a certain age in the public eye and her plans for the future. Christine's warmth on the screen, her connection with the people she's interviewed really comes from the heart. We really could have talked for hours and I came away feeling I'd made a new friend. This interview, this conversation was an absolute joy. I hope you enjoy it too. So I'm here today with Christine Talbot and I've realised that we're we're both of a, a similar age but we're both Lancashire girls that have made Yorkshire our home, haven't we, uh, Yes, we have. I had to keep quite quiet about that for a long time really that um, I was born in Lancashire and not a true Yorkshire lass but uh, I think I've been forgiven because I actually came over here over well, 30 years ago nearly. So I've sort of lived here longer than I lived there. So <laughs> so it's very much home. Very much home, yeah. I mean, I love Yorkshire and I think the people here are just fantastic. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else now. And my daughter was born here, so I feel like I've got my passport finally. <laughs> and it's funny, our son was born in Yorkshire and um, as a huge cricket fan, my dad was horrified that, you know, my <laughs> son had been born in Yorkshire and uh, we also were brought up supporting Manchester United and we now support Huddersfield Town. And he said, what's happening, Deborah? I've let you loose. You've gone over the Pennines. I know, you've become more and more Yorkshire. And and, um, my accent, I think, has changed as well. I think I've got much more of a Yorkshire tone in it, probably because my husband's from Huddersfield. And obviously working here for so long, you know, and people now do think I actually 
they'll say, oh, listen to your Yorkshire accent. And I'm thinking, have I got one? <laughs> Obviously have. <laughs> oh, but you've become so much a, a, a face of Yorkshire and a voice of Yorkshire, haven't you? And um, where did it all start, That your wonderful journalism career? Where did, was that something that you wanted to do when you were a little girl? Yes, it was. I loved writing. I would write stories and do all um, anything to do with words. Um, I was an avid reader as a little girl, quite shy, quite quiet, big, big bookish kind of girl, really. But yes, I always knew that I would work with words in one way or another. And um, it was either journalism or publishing. I was interested in that as well. Um, and I actually got into journalism, though, bizarrely by fluke, because although that had always been my aim, and even as a little girl, I used to make um, a little newspaper every week uh, and force my sister to be my reporter. And I was the editor. And She'd come back with something interesting like, you know, mum is doing beans on toast for tea or whatever. And, you know, we'd make a stupid little paper and I'd pe write it down, literally handwritten in coloured writing, and then mock up a front page wow. <laughs> with drawings for, you know, the pictures. So I obviously did have the instinct quite early. But um, actually, in the end, I was a, I did, I did um, English um, for my university degree. So again, it was words reading. And I ended up in a bit of a dilemma because my dad at the time, my dad was a deputy head of a school and my family were quite academic and it was all a lot of teaching and no, 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 no thought of journalism. So I actually applied and got a place um, at um, Edge Hill College mm. near Liverpool to teach um, sixth form English. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, well, yeah, I'll do that because it sounds like a, a good job. But then at the same time, one of my friends at university had applied to do the journalism course at Preston, um, the print journalism course, and she happened to get two applications by mistake and she gave me one and I filled it in and ended up getting an interview. And I said to dad, dad, I've got offered, I've been offered a place at the journalism college. I've also been offered a place to teach. And he went at the time, he was a teacher, he went, don't teach. <laughs> Go for journalism, and it really. So I thought, right, I will, and I, and you know, I'm I'm so pleased I made that choice because it set me on a path that you know has been an amazing journey, and the things I've done, the people I've met, the 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 stories I've covered, it has I could never have done that in a different career. So I'm very grateful that Dad pushed me in the right direction. I think that was my instinct, but. I wanted him to endorse it, and he did. <laughs> that validation. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Two careers that actually, whichever you would have taken, two careers that have changed beyond recognition in some ways mm. in the period of from then to now. Absolutely. I mean, when I look now, even though it wasn't technically that long ago, um, you know, we're talking just over 30 years. Um, the way we ran and operated as journalists back then was completely different. Mm. I mean, we didn't even have computers. Mm. You know, I used to write stories on on a typewriter with a carbon underneath it and put it on a you know a spike. You'd, mm. you'd put your copy on a spike and you'd literally just put your typewritten story in a tray for the news editor to look at, and it was all done that way. Um, I mean, we actually it, it was probably very it was in the early years of my career that new technology came in as we called it then and we we actually went on strike because I was in the NUJ and we were told oh you're going out on strike so I had 10 weeks standing outside the Southport Visitor newspaper picketing and it was glorious weather and we actually thought this is great because we were all young people 
So we were picketing and got paid more in strike pay than I got paid my normal salary. <laughs> so we could have carried on forever. But then we went back and um, we, of course, you know, we, the new technology was brought in, basically big computers, massive computers. And uh, the world was changing forever. But I went back for a pound fifty pay rise to use new technology. <laughs> but after that, everything now, I can't even imagine it. When I started in TV, the autocue was still typed and rolled on a piece of paper for the Gosh. presenter to read. That makes me sound like something from the art. <laughs> you know, I, I sound like a Victorian, but that wasn't that long ago. You know, we're, we're yeah. talking. You know, when I was a, I was in Manchester at Northwest tonight, and, and if there was something needed changing, the autocue operator had to tipex the word out and rewrite exactly. it in, and we did it like that. Now, obviously, it's at the touch of a button and everything is changed within seconds. But I can't imagine how we did it, but we did it and we thought nothing of it. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about our, our children and I actually said to Oscar, our 14-year-old, the other day, but we didn't have mobile phones. <laughs> and, and, and he sort of gets that, but he just doesn't get it. And, and the thought of having going to a library to research yeah. rather than Google, which you would have had to have done. We did. You? I mean, we, to research a story and find out, you know, any info on what had been done in the past, you had to go to the cuttings files yeah. and, you know, just go through that or microfiche in the library. Um, there was no Google. You couldn't no. just, it didn't all just come up. I mean, now you Google something, all the articles ever written on it come up at, it's so much easier in a sense, but also more difficult in other ways as well because there's so much information mm. out there. But it was it was very different. And I used to, I can remember having to, when I used to cover court cases, um, and the, obviously you didn't have a mobile phone, so you had to get the copy over very quickly. This is when I was working on, on an evening newspaper and in TV. I'd literally had to run out of the court to a phone box um, and dial in to the copy taker and read copy out over a phone. because mm -hmm. um, you, you, So I had to find a phone box. And if somebody was using the phone box, you had to find another phone box. And you had to have your coins. And it was mad, mad. But that's the way you didn't think anything of it because there was no other way of doing it. And when the first, we, I remember we all got given mobile phones when I was on the evening papers. And I think we had to share one between about five of us. And it was a big, massive brick, brick. that you had to carry Probably a Nokia. And yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's such a strange world, really. I could never imagine how things were going to develop so quickly and change the whole face of journalism and the way TV and print newspapers are run. Yeah, I mean, I can remember um, in my, my time as media manager at Old Trafford and having, you know, going in the press box and it would be virtually 99% men mm. and they would be sat there with their telephones on, and not mobile phones but they all had a telephone line yeah. and they had their telephones on the desk and they would ring their copy quite often with a cigarette in the other hand <laughs> and you'd sort of go in and walk through the cloud of smoke exactly. and it was just and I actually had in my office I used to have all the Manchester Evening News cuttings and I would literally have piles of the daily papers and I used to get in trouble because they'd say, Deborah, it's a fire hazard, can you please? But you had the cuttings agencies that would send you yeah. the actual paper. Well, that's it. You, you, And that was the only way of doing it. So a much slower process, really. I'm surprised we managed to get a daily newspaper <laughs> out, really, at the time. But, yeah, um, everything is so different. And when you say to the young ones when I was at Calendar, you know, this... 
you, this is what we had to do and, and we, or we had to go when in TV you'd have to go down to the library and look through and, uh, on a screen in a little cellar underneath Yorkshire <laughs> television you know and everything now they, they type in a word and all the stories come up on their screen it's it's so much easier that way but <laughs> and I think as a journalist and I've, I've had conversations with my husband about this that everybody feels that they have that information at their fingertips and as a journalist it, when you've uh, trained as a journalist that you know that you have to know 99% that that story is abs you can stand that story up mm. and, and I know he finds that frustrating that people think they know things because they've looked at Twitter or they've looked at mm. and how the world has changed from that perspective as well that's it and sometimes <clears throat> it's hard to know what's real and what's fake I know mm. at the moment with, with the Ukraine um, when you're looking at Twitter and then you, you'll see a horrible situation and then you'll see someone else saying oh that's fake and I'm thinking well you don't know what to believe half the time I mean you, you you're seeing these terrible stories you're also seeing um the propaganda that's coming mm -hmm. out from and you can see how it's very easy now to manipulate people's thoughts mm -hmm. and ideas and I think that's very worrying very worrying because you're right you we, we and the, those rules do still stand mm -hmm. in the mainstream media you have to be able to check everything out so mm. you can trust what you see I think on ITV BBC the main channels and in the main newspapers because there are strict rules but there aren't on social media so it's quite scary mm. so how did you make the uh, did you have an ambition to be on television was that something that no I didn't I, I it was journalism writing I writing was always my main love and um, how it came about was, was a, a total I suppose in the right place at the right time although not for my poor presenter that I was working with I had started at the BBC and I was doing the early morning bulletins writing them and um, it was it was about five o'clock one morning and I was in there writing away where Nigel who uh, lovely Nigel who's since passed away he came in and he was green at the gills and he just looked so poorly and he said I, I oh I've been sick all night but you know when it's five o'clock in the morning you've got to come in Anyway, he managed one bulletin and we had four to do and he, um, I went and found him in his dressing room and he was in a real bad way and I rang the boss. I said, we've no presenter. And as it happened, I had been on the BBC trainee course down in London the, the week before and had done a bit of, we did a mock programme like they do with all the journalism courses. So he said, well, you'll have to do it. <laughs> and I, I'd, Baptism I'd of fire. Yeah, I'd literally no makeup on, my hair all over the place. I'd got a big black jumper on. And um, he said, you'll have to do it, but we'll put a board up in front of you. Because <laughs> I looked, well, someone in the office decided I wasn't presentable. <laughs> so literally that's what happened. And, and I sat behind this board and like I'm sitting here now with a microphone and read, very nervously read the news until another presenter could come in. And it was it was from that really that they, they then said to me, would you like to have a go? So I did, I used to do the early morning news and then I started doing the main program over there. And that's where my presenting career started. But I was also working alongside it still as a journalist. I was a health correspondent for Northwest Tonight at the BBC in Manchester. And um, when I came, I basically came to Yorkshire for love. My boyfriend um, was working on the um, Yorkshire Evening Post. And I ended up following him over here and went back to just being reporter again on calendar. And I wasn't, so I wasn't bothered about, mm. presenting wasn't a big thing, but then because I'd done the main programme in Manchester, they started asking me to stand in when Krista Ackroyd, who was then mm -hmm. hosting yeah. it with Richard, 
um, whitely. Um, if ever she was off or it was a weekend and no one could do it, I'd end up doing that. And so that's how I started presenting at Calendar quite quickly, really. I'd, I'd come as a reporter, but ended up as a presenter um, at the same time. And for a few years, I did both jobs. I was, I was an on-the-day reporter, and I'd sometimes come back from filming a report and then go on air Gosh, straight yeah. away. Uh, they don't do that now. The presenter is, is more fo able to focus. I mean, sometimes mm. I'd go on air and not know what any of the stories were because I'd only been doing my own. So um, I did that, and then about a year after I'd been at Calendar, 18 months they started a magazine show which was called tonight um and it was a regional magazine show that was going to run on the half hour after the local news yeah. and um they asked me to host that which i did for four years and then um so that was a massive learning curve for me i was fronting my own program for four years and loved it it was great fun it was like a bit like the one show yeah a yeah. magazine show with a kind of family of correspondence uh, with, like Ian Clayton my good friend would go out and we did a series called what the heck's that over there <laughs> where it, you know when you're driving and you see something and you think wonder what that is we, we picked out about 10 of those and he would go and find out what they all were and we had cooking slots we had a proper full-size kitchen we did fashion yeah. Bernadette Gledhill who we both know used to come and present on that and so it was such a fun job that only changed for me when they, they changed the schedules around because I t the national news wanted that slot, the 6.30 slot, uh, which is what they still have. And um, so they biffed our programme. Um, but I carried on presenting because I was then moved on to a health and beauty channel that was done at Yorkshire, which was sponsored by Boots. And it was probably one of the first satellite channels dedicated. It was, it was called Wellbeing. Wow, and it so was, that was ahead of style. its time. It was probably. ahead of its time. And the good thing was we knew no one watched it because no one had satellite <laughs> television. This was, you'd think it was, you'd, again, it sounds like I'm talking from the arc. That was the year 2000. Good. So not that long ago. Mm. And, um, but it was a time still people were only watching the four or five main channels mm. and didn't have digital as we now call it. And mm. So that's another massive change in the way we operate. But I was, I was, um, on for three hours at a time each time I was on. Three so we hours did, live. Yeah, I did Gosh. three hours live. And then someone else would come and do three hours, someone else. And then I had to come back and do another three hours. And I did that, which which was just fantastic. It was, again, all, all about, it was sponsored by Boots the Chemist. So it was all linked to inner health and well-being. We had a doctor, we had phone-ins. Um, we did cookery with Annie Sturk, another good mm. friend of mine. We did hair and beauty makeovers. We talked about all different health issues, mental health. So it was very much ahead of its time. Sounds and a great it program. Was, it was just great. I think now, mm. if it had happened now, it would be a really successful show. But it just was just too early, I think. And, and obviously there are channels like that now. But But for me, again, a huge learning curve because having to present live for three hours... I suppose I had the comfort of thinking, well, there's hardly anybody watching. So if we mess up, and we had such fun on that programme. Um, but then what happened then, I was quite happy there doing that. Krista Aykroyd, mm -hmm. um, who was the calendar presenter at the time, decided to jump ship and go to the, the dark side, side <laughs> to the BBC. She went to look north. And literally, that I, I got a phone call and they said, Christine, uh, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm working on the Wellbeing Channel. And they said, nope, you're the new calendar presenter. <laughs> and that was in 
2001 and um, I was there for the next 20 years. Yeah. So I loved every second, loved every second. So, But th again, you know, the way recruitment is done, that would never... When, for example, mm -hmm. when I left Calendar last year, there was they had to advertise, there was massive uh, recruitment. They could never just ring somebody up and say, it's your job, come and start tonight. So mm -hmm. in a sense, I've had a kind of very lucky experience. You know, I think it would be much harder now to get the job that I did for that long. But, um, I'd, I, you know, I've been very... I said, oh no, I, I know when I left Calendar, I, feel, I said, I feel like the luckiest woman in the world. And I still do, that I did that for so long, so. Yeah. As um, people, I think this is a, a human thing, not just a British thing, we do define ourselves by our roles, don't we? Whether it's as a mum, as a wife, as a, a an, our job role. And certainly I set up my business actually because I was very conscious when I first had Oscar that my role had changed, I didn't have the same high profile jobs and I had a real identity challenge there and I just wondered how somebody like yourself who is such a public face as well, how you've coped with that yeah. change, that must be challenging it at times. It was challenging and it, it, because I suppose half of me was always Christine Talbot from Calendar mm. and that's how people perceive me and uh, or, or are off Calendar, <laughs> Is it, you were off Calendar. And uh, <laughs> yes, I'm her off calendar. <laughs> and I suppose that's that suddenly not to be part her of that calendar. anymore, her <laughs> off calendar anymore, did take a bit of readjustment. Mm. And I've got to admit, I struggled with it. Mm. I, I found it difficult at first. I thought, and at first it was like seeing myself without that platform. Um, but within a few weeks, one, one of us, it was my decision to go. And I, I, something inside me was thinking, it's time now for a big change in my life. I needed more flexibility um, because my mum isn't too well. And I didn't want to regret not having time for her. Mm. And then looking back and thinking, well, I chose instead to work, work every day and sit in an office because the hours of calendar are quite long. People have always sort of said to me, oh, I just thought you came, walked in about five o'clock, but... Actually, the full eight, ten-hour days, um, you know, you were there all day and very much part of the input of the programme. And obviously, also, we did late news as well. So and sometimes you're not getting home till midnight. And it was quite difficult to juggle my growing family commitment with mum. And, you know, my husband was away a lot working and we were ships that pass in the night. And I just thought, how can I justify not giving my family this time when I when you know when I feel in my heart I felt it was time for a change and that's that was really what pushed me to do it so I I for, for a good year before I left calendar I wrestled massively with it and um, I knew really two years before that some I was gonna go but I just kept putting it off kept putting it off and then I finally thought right now I'm gonna do it and a few of the others were leaving Gaynor Barnes who's I've worked with since I started, John Shires, Nick Collins, who's the director, quite a few were going. And uh, it felt like the end of an era a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of the way Calendar was going. And I thought maybe it's time for, for them to go in a different direction. So I actually told them that I was 
going to be going um, nearly a year before I actually did. And, I, you know, very, very flatteringly for me, they tried to persuade me many times not to go. Mm. And it made me feel very valued. And I knew that I was an important part of the calendar brand and um, that my relationship with Duncan and John Mitchell was very much part of, of, of the programme for mm. people. So it was a big step, but something inside. You know, you just follow, you, you have to follow your gut. Something inside it to me, no, you 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 have to do it don't 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 end your life with any regrets and i'm young enough i think to still do lots of other things there were lots of other things being offered to me that to do that i i, I didn't have the time to do anymore and um i just thought no let's just let's just jump off that cliff and see where life takes me and um it's funny because i saw um you know sean williams who's just left channel 5 she was a contemporary of mine at the bbc in manchester and we were we were friends back then and um, she obviously she's obviously wrestling in a similar way, I think, with that that big change in her life. And she put something on Twitter and I messaged her the other day and it was something her son had given her, which said the ship is safest in the harbour, but that isn't where it's meant to be. And that massively resonates mm. with me because, yes, I could have stayed at Calendar and had a very lovely, happy time. I fell off my perch eventually mm. and everyone would be thinking, God, is she still there? <laughs> you know, isn't it time she retired? Or I go while I can give time to my family that they need me and do lots of new and exciting things. Yeah, time for you. That's right. So in my head, I had to rebrand in my head and I suddenly thought to myself, no, I'm not Christine Talbot off calendar anymore. I'm Christine Talbot, TV presenter, journalist, mum, you know, friend, sister. I'm all those things mm. and they matter. They matter just as much. And I had to do that. It took me probably a month or two after I left calendar to get that back in my head. And I think the reason it did is because people didn't seem to even care whether I was on calendar or not. I, everywhere I went, people were very welcoming, very lovely. I was, job offers were coming out, lots of new and exciting things, people wanting to talk to me about things that they wanted to do with me. And I realized, no, in a way, it's, it's, it's been quite liberating really. Although I'll always miss the place mm. and my heart will all, there'll always be my heart will always be there. And I'm very loyal to, to them. Yeah, I mean, you must miss it. And we were talking off mic beforehand when a big story comes in. You must miss being part of, I mean, the must, I present and I, I love being on the stage and that energy at that point. And I would think live television, there's nothing like it. Oh, no, there's not. I mean, I, you know, the adrenaline of doing live mm. TV, um, especially if it is a big story, mm. is, is is a real rush. And I mean, any journalist would say they live for those moments. I mean, and it's not nice because anyway, you don't you don't want to say, oh, I'm loving covering a horrible story. It's not yeah. like that. It's just the, the it's a privilege to be able to tell that story. And, and you're the source of information. And I'll tell you when it really, really massively, I'd, I'd say one of the things I'm most proud of, of doing was working through COVID because I knew there was a, that period when everyone went into lockdown and I knew particularly people that were regular calendar viewers, how important it was to see a friendly face at six o'clock. Mm. And I knew, they, they knew me, for, they'd known me for 30 years on television. And to be able to come on at six and kind of say, well, this is what's happening. These are the figures. This is what, but everything is all right. Calendar's still here. Your, your friends are still here. And I knew that was probably one of the most important things I ever felt my job was. It was a public service job in a sense. It wasn't just 
uh, telling the news. It was being there for people when they had nobody else because some of these people, some people were not seeing their families, as we know. Mm -hmm. Elderly people were isolated and, you know, we were probably... I was probably one of the few friendly faces they saw. So their regional news programmes mattered a great deal. And I, I felt very mm. privileged to have that period of life. And in a way, I'm, I'm glad that that period was ended my career, you yeah. know, that time during the COVID. And no, now, you know, obviously the Ukraine and all the big stories that are happening, I do get, still get that urge to be involved. And I, I'm, I find it quite difficult sometimes thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm on the sidelines just watching. When I, when I did so much enjoy I would you know talking to people and finding out their stories and passing those on so that's something but they you know in another way there are other ways of doing that you know I can I, I am looking at still doing some tv work with documentaries and develop, developing a few ideas so in a way I've still got it to to do but it's just at the moment yeah I am missing the news <laughs> yeah uh, and I would think it's a privilege to be a voice for people who perhaps wouldn't get their stories heard. Yeah. And I know when I chatted to Harry Gration on here, one of the things he talked about, I said, you know, who who are the people that you've loved meeting over the years? And um, and you hinted at it before we came on mic, but he said, you know, it's not the big stars, it's the people whose mm. real stories that you hear. And, yeah. you know, you get to know them. You get to know people. Um, I mean, I... You know, I, I have been um, very privileged, I think, to tell stories for people that, that don't wouldn't get a voice in, it in any other way. And I've met some incredible people. Um, one, one springs to mind is Joan Lawrence, the mother of Claudia Lawrence, who is missing in York. I've got to know her very well. Mm. And she has become a friend. Um, my friend Jackie Roberts, again, I got to know her. Her daughter died in, in tragic circumstances. And still, I'm, I'm always astounded at the way they deal with everything mm. and the the courage and the bravery they show. Claire Throssell also had a, a tragic story, but another, uh, you know, and it has become, she, she knocks me out with the way she speaks every time. And I'm one of the things I'm looking at doing is with Claire in the future. And um, I, it's, it's just, I just feel very lucky to have got the chance to, to know these people. And it, yeah, it's, it's great you do, you meet a lot of celebrities and you get to know a lot of, you know, you, I've interviewed prime ministers, I've interviewed most of the prime ministers. Um, and the big powerful political players, but it's the ordinary people with who probably there because in circumstances that they don't really want to be there. But the nice thing is that they've trusted me to tell their story and they're happy to become friends and sit down and, and open up to me is 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 I'm very honoured that they would they would do that. But one another lady that I mean not into tragic things, but one lady that's always um, I always feel very lucky to have got to know well was Hannah Hawkswell, mm. the Dales woman, um, lovely Hannah. And I ended up interviewing her. She'd not done anything for many years. And, and I don't know if anyone does know, but Hannah was a massive star in the 80s, really, when she was kind of discovered. A bit like a bit like the Yorkshire Shepherdesses now. Yeah. But she didn't have the big family. She literally lived on her own with no electric. She had candles and she became a superstar very gentle, very wise lady. And, and, you know, her series on Yorkshire television went all over the world. And, um, well, for many years she hadn't done anything and it was her 85th birthday. So I got, whole, I got in touch with her via somebody I knew that knew her and interviewed her. And again, another friendship developed that with her, which I treasure the memories of, you know, I used to go up to her cottage with, without a camera. Mm. I did a couple of interviews, a few things with her, but then other things, I'd just go up and we'd have a cup of tea. And um, 
her gentle soul, her, her, she was always so lovely. And one of the memories I've got is I went to visit her. She moved to a nursing home in County Durham uh, shortly before she died. And I went to visit her up there and she was fascinated by my iPhone. And I was teaching her how to do selfies. <laughs> so... And I've got those pictures uh, which of me and her laughing while she's trying to do a selfie. And I thought, you know, Hannah Hawkswell, who's kind of almost still lived like she was in the 1900s, busy taking selfies in her nursing home. So it's lovely memories that I take with me from my time, really. Um, I'm very lucky and I still have all those people. Hannah passed away a few years ago now, but all those people still in my life. And, and lovely Mandy as well. Who I was both just know. about, yes, yeah, yeah, I was just thinking yeah. exactly the same and, you know, and the friendship. And I think when Mandy and I chatted, we certainly talked about you and the friendship that you developed over the years. But again, helping her share her story and share her legacy. Yeah, well, Mandy, Mandy, I think, you know, she was incredible, very special lady. And Mandy reached out to me when I had breast cancer because mm. I had breast cancer. Uh, I was diagnosed um, early 2012. And she messaged me on Facebook. I didn't know her and basically said, oh, I, I had breast cancer last year. And, you know, do you fancy a coffee? And literally, I just thought, what, what a kind thing to do. Mm. And we got to know each other over the years. Ended up by chance going on holiday um, together, which also cemented. It, well, we didn't go on holiday together. I was literally at the same hotel as her. And I walked past with this sunbed and I Christine Talbot. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up having a lovely time. And... Um, Obviously, Mandy, you know, her cancer journey, you know, she died just just before Christmas last year. Um, very young, very vibrant, taken far too soon. But um, she's another person that, again, Calendar brought to me as, as a friend and became a big part of my life. And yes, she would ring me up with all her ideas because she was always <laughs> fundraising and doing bon bonkers things. And like when she did the carpool, when she was having her radiation treatment, the carpool karaoke, dressed up in a different outfit every day. So I was able to do something on the programme about that and there, all the things that she was involved with, we tried to cover. So yeah. Yeah. she was just one of, because I mean, I, I've known her a long time uh, through her charity work and through the fashion. That's how I was introduced to Bernadette, funnily mm. enough. But um, I know she was such a support for me when my mum went through breast cancer and uh, just before the pandemic and her even her and mum developed a relationship because where once mum was okay she'd had one of those uh, really lovely soft cotton bamboo turbans and she'd never worn it and she said do you think Mandy would like this Aww. so mum sent that for Mandy so they had a little so it's amazing isn't it how the the sort of network grows and yes um and I think there's something, another thing that I think is often overlooked, certainly in the business world, is being able to build relationships and that empathy. And even the way we met, we met in, in a networking situation and we were talking about Mandy. And there's a real warmth about you. And I think that comes across on screen, but I think that has to be authentic, Aww, doesn't it? Thank you very much. Well, I, I think I learned early on there's no point trying to be somebody you're not. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think like all news readers, as we were known, when I first started, I did think I had to be like Angela Rippon or something, you know, and speaking. You should hear my voice on my early... <laughs> 
programmes. <laughs> it's mortifying. I feel like the Queen. And I think kind of, it, I don't know why I did that, but I, it's funny because it, I think it must have been a thing of that time because Gaynor, my friend Gaynor Barnes, She's she's the same. She also speaks with this really posh voice. And I said, what happened to our voices? Because we, we went from being super posh to just... Be, and I think it's just that we relaxed into being ourselves. And, you, you, you know, and people would... There's no point trying to be somebody you're not. So... You get found out. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, yeah. And also, you are appearing in people's homes and people's front rooms. Yeah. So... They're expecting someone they relate to, I they would have do. thought. They do. And, and I think Duncan and I worked well together, very well, because, you know, he's he's himself on screen and uh, we had a good relationship and, and good fun and uh, with John Mitchell as well. And I think that, you know, people did like the fact that we... And that we were literally like that all the time. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just for the you know program we were mm. we were always being silly in some way or another um although I don't think I think ITV would rather probably weren't but <laughs> we were <laughs> cut up to a few scrapes but <laughs> you were saying about well-being and I just wonder how it's been for you because I don't as I said earlier we're a similar age and and there is so much these days people like Davina and people talking to an audience of women over 50 and I think mm. it's a an audience that still isn't heard enough and mm. perhaps um, there isn't enough information for that audience but um, did you feel a responsibility as, as a female face on on television? I did and, and, and particularly having had breast cancer mm. was something that mattered to me a lot so I knew that um, people would be looking at me, um, especially women who, who'd just gone through the same thing or were di newly diagnosed, and that did prove to be the case because I did that. When I first got diagnosed, I was Googling left, right and centre anybody um, it, that I in the public eye mm. that had been through it, kind of for hope and inspiration. And you look at them like Kylie Minogue, for example, mm. you know. Um, I, she'd had breast cancer shortly before me and, and I was thinking, well, she she looks great, you know, she's mm. through it and she's okay. And I know that that did happen with me. I know not everybody's story is as... I was lucky, I got diagnosed early and that was the message I wanted to try and get across. Um, but I was contacted and still am by lots of women who, you know, want to know even just little things like... What kind of chemo did you have? What 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 did you think? How did? What about your hair? Did you wear a wig? Did you wear a cold cap? And mm. and I I'm more than happy to mm. to say my experience, and I'm trying to do that as well. So whenever anyone does contact me, you know, I end up getting again. I end up forging friendships with people and trying to help them if I can through that journey. But I think that. I mean, it's all sorts of things. It's like with me, for example, um, you know, I went into uh, chemical menopause when I was on chemo and um, was shunted right into it and, and with all the massive hot flushes and this, that mm. and the other. And um, I was having to go on air, you know, with my makeup dripping off and, and the constantly and, and, and feeling mm. like, a, a, you know, you're with a very young team looking in, in the gallery and you're embarrassed and you're thinking, oh God, quickly put some powder on. And it's all sorts, it's all those things and the mood swings and dealing just with life and, and dealing with everything that happens at this age. I mean, I, um, I was with you last week, we were listening to Millie Johnson, who's mm. written a book called Woman in the Middle of the Sandwich Generation Woman. And I am very much a sandwich generation mum. I've got an elderly mum who's mm. quite dependent on me. I've got, you know, a daughter, 
um, who needs me still, even if she's 24, but they need they still need all the guidance and advice. And, you know, when they're not settled in whatever life they're going for, you, you've got to be there. And, you know, you've, you're torn in a million different ways, aren't you? And you're going through the menopause. And <laughs> in my case, just having had cancer, you're trying to be there for your friends who are also going through difficult situations. And I just think women in the 50s, there's a lot going on. Yeah. yeah, and I think everyone's trying to put a, a brave face and mm. we all put our lipstick on, don't we, and mm. we go out there. And it, it is hard and I think I'm a big believer in um, whether it's through mental health, but the ability of people to be open and vulnerable, even from a leadership point of view in business, being mm. able to be say that we don't know we don't have all the answers to everything but I think for women particularly this expectation to show up and not be able to say actually I'm having a bad day today you've got to be the strong one haven't mm. you and I, I notice with my family my mood can affect everybody else's yeah I if I'm in a bad mood or, or, or stressed or whatever everybody else is and so I realized I, you've almost just got to put on a big smile every day and that's not always easy and, and I was also doing it for the cameras as well mm. and um, and and I am a positive person. I'm very much a cup half full kind of person. But, you know, I, I see it. I'm, I'm, I've got one of my dear friends who's just lost her parents. She's going through a divorce. And, you know, everything's happening to her at once. And she's she's really struggling. And you're trying to, you, you can't keep saying, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. You've just got to let sometimes, if people want to be upset or need need a bit of downtime, you've just got to let them have it. And I, sometimes I just, sometimes I, I actually get in the car and I'm driving to my mum's because I've got to go over the motorway to see it. Sometimes I think, phew, I've got an hour to myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it's ridiculous when just having a drive somewhere is my downtime, you know. So when you're in the car and you're doing the M62 track, yeah. <laughs> do you, what do you listen to? Do you listen to music? Do you listen to news? I Are tend you... to listen, bizarrely, I do tend to listen to news. I tend to listen to Radio 5 a lot or Radio 4. Um, but sometimes it all does get too much. Um, I'll, I'll listen to podcasts sometimes mm. as well, but mm. if I can make them work in the car. <laughs> but there are some days when I'll just put music on mm. and just let myself chill I, I think being a journalist I always feel I've got to be on top of the news and that's a good time for me mm. to catch up with everything so I, I feel this pressure which again is again you're always multitasking so even though I'm having my downtime in the car I'm thinking yes but I can catch up on what's happening here and and listen to this interview there and and there are the odd occasion I will think right no I'm not going to put the news on I'm just going to put some music on and I'm mm. just going to let my mind wander a little bit. And, and that's probably what I should do more often, really. Mm. And who's inspired you over the years then? Um, you know, whether it's a journalist or who inspires you? Um, do you know, I I always, I, I mean, I, I'm a massive fan of Mary Nightingale, for example. And you can imagine why. She's just super on it and super professional mm. and a lovely woman as well. And very inclusive. You know, she's, you know, she's always... One of these, she's a woman's woman, and mm. I like women's women. Um, in terms of, I'll tell you, really, one person that I just thought was amazing was Lulu. And mm. I met her, she came in to, oh gosh, it was a long time ago, might have, might, must be even 15 years ago. And she was just a buzzing mass of energy. She looked mm. fantastic on it every day, um, full of ideas, and she's still working full on 
uh, every day now you can see and then I went to see her she was for she was at a concert at Harewood and uh, I'd been invited to this gala dinner mm. in fact Prince Andrew uh, not Prince Andrew um Monaco, um, um, what's his, um, Albert. Albert of Monaco was there oh, with his gosh. very glamorous wife. I can't even remember what the event was. There were a lot of celebrities. It was a real glitzy do. And Lulu was just incredible. And she got up and that, she sang, you know, the famous, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I won't do it because I'll probably break your mic. But, oh, I remember thinking, wow, that's what I want to be like when I'm in my 70s, you know. And, and I don't actually know how old she is. I might be insulting her, but... I think she probably is in her 70s. <laughs> well, and what a great advert she is for her skincare. She just, and she genuinely looks like that. You know, I've seen, I saw her in the makeup room and, you know, that is what she looks like. She's amazing. So. And she's one of those people, I think she's a great example of somebody who lives life to the full. Mm. If she's going, I mean, I think she's a grandma, isn't she? And she's full on grandma and whatever she does... She's there. She goes out there, yet has been very authentic about it as well. She is. And and you often find as well, it's really funny, With when I've, in, I've interviewed so many people over the years, and particularly on the Tonight programme, we did a lot of like, boy bands and this, that, and the other used to come in. And actually the nicest people were always the old old timers, I'm like, like Lulu, mm. like Cliff mm. Richard. The, the ones, like Tom Jones, I interviewed him. The people that had been around forever were actually the nicest to deal with. And it was often the newcomers, the some, you know, someone who just got a role in an Emmerdale or something. And they were they, they would be quite difficult. I think throwing the weight around because they'd yeah. got their first taste of stardom. And I think that the old people that have been around a long time actually realised that you don't have to be rude to get on in life. And and that was that was quite nice. And Lulu was a definite example of that. She was just fantastic. And they've probably also, you know, it's a bit like we were talking about journalism all those years ago. Becoming a star all those years ago, they'll have had to do all the tours and, yeah, you know. Very different. I mean, for them, I mean, all now it's all Instagram and social media, isn't it? And you've got to know how to do all that, which which I struggle with at the moment, you know, how to keep on top of it and... And yet there's a great pressure to do it, isn't there, really? Especially yeah. if you want to work. Yeah. Mm. So what does the future hold? I know you've got a, an exciting event coming up at weekend <laughs> yes. with um, your old friend Harry. Yeah, so Harry approached me about doing something with him. And so we're getting together on Monday at the uh, York Theatre Royal. I don't know when this, when you're yeah, actually, doing this. It probably would have been. It will have happened, yeah. but we might do more. And um, it's Grand Yorkshire Night Out, so it's lots of Yorkshire guests. It's people, uh, the Yorkshire Vets coming, Julian Norton, um, the original production cast of All Creatures Great and Small we've got the Dunwells and lots happening But um, and it's also about Harry and my career but uh, talking about I mean he's done so much you know 40 year amazing career he's jumped out of planes and everything he's, he's um, done all these charity challenges and, and so he's going to be talking a lot about all the people he's met uh, so that's going to be nice and then um, in summer I'm doing a week, the, the first ever chat show at the Great Yorkshire Show. Um, that's, they've never had this before, so they're launching it and I'm, I'm going to be doing it. So every day I'm going to be doing uh, interviews with uh, celebrities often linked to farming. Mm-hmm. That was one of the remits that the Great Yorkshire Show wanted. So people like Adam Henson from... Country file. Country file. I keep saying crime watch. I don't know why, but it's country file. Um, don't get it mixed I know, up. I know. And we've got JB Gill, um, who was in the boy band JLS, is now a farmer, has his own dairy farm, and lots of other guests. Uh, all you can imagine the kind of people, lots of people, the very famous faces. So every afternoon and 
I'll be doing that on the Great Yorkshire. So that's, I'm, I can't wait to do that. That's right up my street. Um, I'm doing a couple of the crime, fe- the, the, the literature festivals mm. as well, but also lots of TV ideas at the moment. I'm talking to TV companies about some documentaries coming up, which will hopefully be happening later in the year. So It must be so exciting having had, because being married to a journalist myself, I know that actually for the last 20 years, our life has really, I mean, we got married on a Sunday because there was football on the Saturday. <laughs> and, um, you know, our life has been dictated by the BBC football schedule for so many years. And it must be lovely to have that freedom and choice. It, it is. I, I've got to say, I I actually had, a, I mean, I actually went on three holidays last month Um not by chance, but one one of them was a rearranged one because of COVID. But I went um, twice. I went away with my girlfriends. I went to the Dales, um, and I went away with my husband for a few days. And I was thinking, gosh, if I was at work, I'd be like having to tick off my day's mm. leave, you know. <laughs> and I'd probably run out of it by now. I've never been on three holidays in a month ever because I've mm. never been in a position to do it. I've always had. I've always worked and been on a on a roster. So I love the fact that. I can wake up in the morning and not quite know what I'm going to be doing that day. And and lovely things like this, you know, mm. this sh- sitting, chatting to you. Every day is different. Mm. Um, and, and, and amazingly, new opportunities are coming every day as well. And I can actually say, well, I yes, I either want to do it or I don't want to do it. And I love it. I, I feel like I have got some say over my life, which is really lovely. Not that I didn't before, but I was very, very happy doing what I did. Mm. But I just felt I'd got to a point in my life where I did need to have more, more say. And, I, and that's what I ended up doing. So, yeah. You, you, you seem so, um, as, we, as we've sat and chatted, you've got this infectious enthusiasm. And I just wonder... You must get up some mornings and think, oh, I don't fancy it today. Oh, what yeah, gets, I yeah, do. What gets Christine into Christine Talbot mode? Is it music? What do you oh, do to... Oh, gosh. I don't know. I could be a grumpy old thing, I'll tell you. <laughs> Is it coffee? <laughs> you know. Coffee does it. I have at least two or three coffees. I don't know, really. I mean, I, I, I am, as I said, I have always been a bit of a, a positive person. I mean, my mum's the same, and she's always said that about the two of us you know we're, we're cup half full people mm. um and i think i've always always had this feeling everything will be all right in the end and mm. everything happens for a reason and um I, I mean i do i have had my you know i do have down days just like everybody else but i've got to be honest i try not to let them take over and mm. you know I, I i i think in my whole life i think the the there've been two big crises one when dad died which was 25 years ago now and you know he wasn't that old really mm. and um the other time it was leaving calendar mm. i had a wobble massive mm. wobble then um where I, I actually was struggling a little bit to kind of mm. keep going every day because i was kind of thinking what who am i what what where do i go from here but i've i have always had a great resilience and it was it's a bit like when i was diagnosed with cancer I felt it was, I dealt with it like I do everything and it's like I'm doing live telly. So I will think, yeah, how my, my first instinct is I haven't got time to, to dwell on this or think about it too much. What do I do to make this right? What, am I, what, what do I do next to make this sorted? And that's, that's how I tend to be. And perhaps that's not a good thing because I don't, maybe I don't give myself mm. the space to, to actually 
grieve or do or actually get down and hit the rock bottom because I'm always like, no, no, you've got to, you've got to keep fighting. And I think that it's perhaps not a good thing. It's a bit like when I get in the car and think, well, I've got to multitask and listen to a, a news program. Um, and maybe one of the good things that will come from having more time is I might be able to let myself sit back and breathe a little bit and allow myself to smell the roses and just just if I do feel fed up I can go and sit in the garden with a cup of coffee and look at actually I say look at the paper no I'm not allowed to look at the paper I just got to sit <laughs> there and have quiet yeah and I think I'm trying to train myself to be more that kind of person yeah I suppose one of the things about being a journalist is about being curious isn't it and and it's bringing that curiosity to life virtually now and yeah. who you are and and what comes next I know and I and I can see a, a story Everywhere I go, I, everybody I talk to has a story to tell. And I'll constantly be thinking, oh, that would be a great piece. I'd love to do an interview on that. Calendar might be interested in that. Um, and I can't seem to switch off. You know, I'm always, always finding stories in everything I do and, and seeking out interesting tales. Um, and sometimes I have to say to myself, no, let go. You know, just let go and just be for a day. Oh. <laughs> so... If there was one person that you could interview that you haven't interviewed, who would that be? Um, I think at the moment, I think I've, I've always thought Meghan Markle or Kate Middleton, because mm. I don't think anyone's ever really got to the bottom of what's going on in their heads. <laughs> Maybe together that would be interesting, a double header. <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating, wasn't it? Because I, it's really funny because I, I thought I'll ask you that and... I was actually thinking in my own head, I wonder what you thought of the Oprah interview yeah. because... I, I was a bit disappointed in Oprah on mm. that because I didn't, I just felt she didn't challenge and mm. she didn't question and um, and I know, you know, yes, I know that whatever Meghan Markle was saying, it may or may not have been true, but she accepted everything and I don't think as a journalist you accept everything mm. and don't challenge back. Even if they're your friend, you've got to do it and... Maybe maybe they'd, they'd only agreed on the interview on certain terms. I don't know, but I was disappointed because I'm a great admirer of Oprah. Yes, I am as well. Mm. And I just felt, because you can still ask the question with respect, can't yes. you? Yeah. You can still ask a question in a certain way. And um, yes, they would be interesting conversations, it, it would, wouldn't two they? Of them. Both of them. I think that would be a very well-watched yeah. programme. And I just think, you know, we were talking about identity before, but I just think the way that... You know, and a lot of people say, oh, she's very much living the role of a future queen, Catherine, but I think she does it so well. And it mm. is a brand at the end of the day. Yeah, and yeah. I think she fulfills that role. I'd love to see them behind the scenes. You kind of want to see a naughty side to her, don't you, really? Yeah, and yeah. I, think, uh, I think she's lovely. I think she's beautiful. But I do think she plays it very carefully. And I think it's all very... And it would be quite nice to maybe see another side to her. So yeah. she'd be very interesting if she would open up. Yeah. Mum and Dad live on Anglesey and quite a few of their friends have seen them sort of being normal. Have they? Yeah. And not they having said, a row in not having, or anything. No, not quite. <laughs> but there was um, a lovely tale about her trying on a wetsuit in a, a store on her own, trying on a wetsuit and then going out and saying to the guy, oh, 
I'll call back, I haven't got any money on me and wandering out and him not realising who she was <laughs> and somebody coming in saying, you realise who that was? And she was very, you know, ordinary and quite a few people would say, you know, you look like. Really? And, yeah. and because they were imagine. so ordinary, but um, yeah. Well, I think we were, I think we were in Anglesey once because I had, a, my friend used to have a house at Triada Bay and mm. uh, we'd gone over there and we, we think we missed them because um, we'd gone to this restaurant in Triada Bay and as we were coming out, up, pulled up three blacked out mm. Audis mm. and um, thought, oh, that's, didn't think anything of it. And it was only when we got away with my friends, I bet that was them going out because, because they have, you know, I think they have Audis, don't they? Mm. And it all looked a bit official. And we were back in the restaurant the next night and we said to the um, the, the guy that was serving, said, were William and Kate in last night? And he just winked. <laughs> I said, oh, it was them. Damn, we missed them. <laughs> uh, oh, well, we'll uh, maybe that'll be an exclusive one day yes. when you get... You never know. <laughs> ...one of the royals. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me, uh, chatting with me today, Christine. I could chat for hours, to be honest, and we'd Aww. had a conversation beforehand. Aww. But thank you much, so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, well, it's been my pleasure as well. I've really enjoyed it. And as you say, we've been chatting. We probably could have sat here all day, but it's been lovely. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe to help other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production.